We were always told that when the world ends, it'll most likely be because of the sun. Eventually, it would run out of hydrogen fuel in its core, and then it would start burning helium, and it would begin to expand as a transition to a red giant. And slowly, as it expanded, it'll engulf Mercury, and then Venus, and then the Earth, and then everything would be over. Right? We assumed that since it would happen slowly, we would have plenty of time to know what was coming. And perhaps by that point, we would have been far into our journey of inhabiting other planets in different parts of the galaxies. So there may not even be anyone on the Earth when it dies. Of course, before this would happen, we knew that there was always a possibility of a nuclear war. The superpowers of the world bombing each other to prove a point damning all of humanity to die in nuclear fallout or in the inevitable nuclear winter. But even then, we would see it coming. International tensions rising, empty threats thrown out that would eventually be acted upon. We would know what was to come. If only it had happened those ways. What we got was an explosion so small it could only be seen on the atomic level. But the result of it was a tiny shift of a particle from one region to another, triggering a domino effect of all particles doing the exact same thing, and the effect spread in all directions like a bubble with its walls expanding at the speed of light throughout the entire universe, incinerating everything it passed through. And as the entire universe experienced an instantaneous gravitational collapse, all of life and Earth and anywhere else in the universe was just gone in an instant, without any warning. And it was all because one man wanted to pull a point. Some day during a month of a year, a baby was born in a hospital somewhere to be raised in a small farm in the middle of nowhere. At a young age, his father taught him how to work on farm machinery like the plowers. Uh, the plowers were tractors the size of a small house controlled by an AI that would go up and down the farm, plowing the land and planting seeds. He enjoyed working on the machines because being an only child, there wasn't anyone else he could play with, and by this point, AIs did most of the farming, so farms spanned for acres upon acres, without another person for miles and miles. So he would spend all his time in the workshop, fixing the tractors, and figuring out ways he could make them better. Now, this was a smart kid. He always did well in the Universal Online School, specifically in the sciences. There was a lot of crossover between that area and the things he was trying to do on the engineering front at home. And when high school came around and he had to pick an area of focus, he went into the STEM program. It was a perfect combination of all the things that he had now become so passionate about. And that passion only grew with each passing year of school. Every time he would learn a new topic, he would fantasize and theorize about all the possibilities. 
he had the opportunity to realize one of those ideas in his final year of school. See, the universal online school system required every final year student in the STEM program to submit an invention of their own. As you could probably imagine, he had been excitedly waiting for this project for the last four years. He was ready to have some fun and finally make something incredible. But also, he knew that he had to keep it somewhat practical, as this assignment carries a lot of weight with it. See, every single student has to present their project to a panel of judges who will then score it. And every single project is aggregated into a list, and based on the score it received, that will determine its position on the list. And it's from that list that university STEM programs will look at the projects and offer any positions in their program to those that they deem fit. And he knew that the best programs don't even consider anyone outside of the top 10%. So your chances of getting into any program at all just decrease the more and more lower you go. He was bent on being in the top percentile and getting an offer so that way he could get off of the farm and truly begin doing some meaningful research. He hoped for a chance to be able to create things that would help the world, and he knew that all the top schools were looking for people just like that, so he was going to make something to prove that he was serious about the objective. And months went by with countless hours working and crafting and scrapping ideas, until eventually he created something that he knew would grab everyone's attention. So on the day of his presentation, he takes his computer to the workshop and he sets up his video camera to capture the workbench. And on his workbench was a wooden box, and in that box was a bunch of PVC pipes connecting to several small tin boxes. He rehearsed his presentation over and over again as he waited in the virtual lobby for the call until it was his turn. And then eventually, it was. He explained to the panel of judges what he had created. I call it the infinite energy battery. He told them it was a power source unlike any other. It would be powered by a single atomic reaction and that would create negative energy. And the energy created to balance out the negative energy could be harnessed as actual usable power. And with this method, a battery the size of that box could power half of an entire country. Of course, the judges were impressed. They were eager to see the battery in action, but they never got the chance. See, the box was only a model. The battery couldn't be created yet with the things available today, but the science behind it, the, the theoretical infinite battery, it was sound, and he hoped that that would be enough to wow the panel, but he was wrong. They told him that they don't give out scores based solely on theory. There had to be at least some practical element to it, and just like that, that was the end of his presentation. His score wasn't terrible, but he was not anywhere near the top 10%. He was more in the top 25%. And while that was good, it was nowhere near where he needed to be to get an offer from a top school. This upset him, as it would upset anyone. His parents told him that he should keep his head up. You know, perhaps a school will look at his project and see the potential and then give him an offer. He refused to believe them, but that's exactly what happened. It wasn't one of the top schools by any means, but... At least it was an offer, and when it came, he decided to make the best of the worst situation, and he accepted it. He saw this as an opportunity to prove all the judges wrong, and when he finished his research, he was going to laugh in the faces of all the schools that overlooked him. It didn't play out the way he expected, though. Upon arriving at his new school, he quickly realized why going to one of the premier schools was more ideal. 
the facilities he had available to do his research, while yes, better than working back at the farm, it was still leagues below what the better schools had available. He wasn't able to commence any serious research into the infinite battery, but he kept the model with him as a reminder of where he had to go. Even if he couldn't do it now, one day he was going to make this a reality. But until then, he at least needed to start working on something now to get his journey started. So he gathered a few other students that shared his goal of making things that could actually help people in need, and they began to list prevalent problems in the world they could possibly attempt to solve. After two years of research and development, the group unveiled a project that would do just that. It was a machine capable of turning ocean water into clean drinking water. It was a scientific success. The waiting list of humanitarian organizations and countries that wanted to purchase these devices to solve the drinking water problem in places across the globe stretched for miles. The difference in cost to produce the machine and the price they sold the machine made all of them millionaires. He and his group became very famous in the science and engineering communities. They were even given a Nobel Peace Prize. Their school went from a middle-of-the-pack school to a respected university because they nurtured some of the greatest minds of our day. But this was not the end goal for him. Of course, he felt good to give a speech at that Nobel Peace Prize ceremony in front of the many of the higher-up people from the schools that looked past him and some of the judges that were on his panel. But this just wasn't the same. He wanted to be giving this speech in front of these people when he was accepting a Nobel Prize for solving the world's energy crisis with his infinite battery. That was the mission. This, this was just a stepping stone. There was no shortage of recognition being sent his way for the years to come. He and his group eventually broke away from the school to start their own company, and they did this so that way they could expand and do even more research and solve even more of the world's problems. And with him in charge, there was absolutely no problem attracting some of the brightest minds from all across the globe. They began to chip away at the global warming crisis by inventing a system that would allow planes to be electric and run off of pure solar power, all while still being as efficient, if not more efficient, as a combustion plane engine. They created artificial bees that were able to pick up the slack as the organic bee population slowly began to die off. They reinvented the plower, the machine that he was so familiar with from his childhood. They made it more efficient and put out less pollution while making the job of the farmer so much easier. And this was very important to him because his parents had reached old age and they couldn't maintain the farm that they used to. His company was a beacon of hope for the world. Lives were being saved from the things that came out of that building. And below all of that, in the basement lab, his purpose was finally coming to fruition. After years and years of trying, his vision of the infinite battery was finally becoming a reality. Him, along with the original group and some other researchers he had hired, had been tirelessly working on this secret project. He wanted to keep it a secret in order to really shock the world, and more specifically, shock those judges. After all those years, he will finally be able to prove to them that this was more than just a theory. He had actually done it. 
After the machine had been completed, he invited many people from the science community, friends and family, as well as the judges from his panel that were still alive at least, to come to the facility so he can demonstrate for them the answer to the world's energy crisis, the infinite battery. On the day of the event, everyone piled into the auditorium to see the machine, which was no bigger than a supply closet, although it could create enough energy to support an entire continent. And that was with conservative estimates. If pushed hard enough or maybe even a little bit of expansion, he theorized that it could be able to power the entire globe. As he walked around the machine explaining this to the crowd, he noticed a few unimpressed faces, probably assuming that he was just overhyping this machine. But they were about to see. He was about to show all of them. The crowd began to count down as he rested his hand on the power button. This was everything he had been waiting for. Everything he had worked on. Everything that he had done so far in his life was leading up to this very moment. And when the crowd reached zero, he pushed the button. And then there was nothing. <laughs> 